Hi, everybody, and welcome to our Contemplating Pop Culture Spider-Man event, whether you're joining us in person, not in person, whether you're joining us on Zoom <laughs> live or later on YouTube or in podcast format, it's great to have you here. Uh, and we're so glad that you could join us for this fun chance to just dive into pop culture. When I scheduled this event, I had actually heard that March 1st was going to be the release date for like the digital edition of the movie. And I was like, ah, this is great timing then. And then when they actually announced the, the, the release, it's, it's much later in the year, so, or later in the month. So sadly, it does not perfectly coincide with the release date like I had hoped when I scheduled this. Um, but if you're watching this later because the movie did come out, then also good to have you. But it is particularly a pleasure to, in, to invite, to share, to have as a guest tonight, uh, Rabbi Micah Ellenson, who is joining me tonight to talk all about Spider-Man. Micah, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm Rabbi Micah Ellenson. I'm the uh, pop culture rabbi on TikTok, and I'm just thrilled to be here to talk Spider-Man and pop culture. Uh, March is this amazing month for pop culture. Batman just is uh, coming out tomorrow. Um, we have Moon Knight coming out later on in the month. Uh, there's just a myriad of different things. Uh, the Atom Project's coming out. I'm just, I'm so excited for March in general and Spider-Man No Way Home on DVD, which if they push that to April, I will be, I will be sad. But March seems to be the month. So uh, it's just wonderful to be here. Exciting. I just plugged a bunch of things that I have no, you know, I'm not getting paid to plug those things, but all wonderful things to watch. It's all just um, genuine excitement, not not any paid advertisements. It really is. It really Having is. said, um, Marvel, DC, um, if you want to sponsor the Contemplating Pop Culture series, please feel free to reach out to me at re at fourthu.org. <laughs> but I love this series. It's one of my favorite things that I've uh, that I have the pleasure to get to take part in. Uh, we've had fascinating topics, Lord of the Rings, the Golden Compass. Um, later in this year, we're going to have a young folk led. Some of our middle schoolers are going to lead one about Rick Riordan and like Percy Jackson series. We have one hopefully over the summer, possibly uh, about like Harry Potter fan fiction, death of the author, all of that sort of topic and how you do that, how you navigate that whole world of fandom. Uh, and then hopefully in the fall, I'm also hoping for uh, Star Wars in theology as, as, a, as a big, um, you know, the energy seems to be going in a better direction from Star Wars. Like last year when I was starting the series, you know, the, the rise of Skywalker had left a little negative taste in some folks' mouths. So hopefully by, by fall, we're all having a good, a good Star Wars experience and we can uh, have... Uh, have Rabbi Micah come back for Star Wars contemplations. Absolutely. I actually find it <clears throat> so sorry. I find it really interesting what's going on right now in the Star Wars fandom on TikTok is there is this pushback against the toxicity. So a lot of the bigger creators, uh, way bigger than Ember and I, I'm talking about the creators with 50, 60,000 to a million followers. Uh, have pushed back. There's a creator named Straw Hat Goofy who 
did a short video, an African-American man, and he's basically said, as a creator, I get death threats. I've had racist comments made against me. And the thing I am most afraid to post is Star Wars content. And this really made the, uh, the Star Wars fandom, the positive Star Wars fandom, really rise up, pardon the pun, uh, rise up and say, wait, there's actually more of us than there are of them. There's more of us that love this stuff. There's more positivity in the world than negativity. And so let's uh, flood the uh, the TikTok verse and, and um, the YouTube verse with that positivity to counteract that toxicity, which is out there, which really can uh, diminish one's enjoyment of pop culture and really misses the entire point of why we love these things is because of the messages of humanity, of who we can be, of rising up and being our best selves. And so uh, I will be happy to come back and talk Star Wars uh, in a few months when, when we see where this wave is taking us. Well, you know, you might say that when we're dealing with pop culture, that we have both a great power and a great responsibility. And that's it, folks. We're out. <laughs> yep, sorry, I don't know that I can top that for the rest of the night. <laughs> um, it's actually, did you know this? Little trivia time. In the comics, in the comic that that line is based on, it is with great power must also come great responsibility. And, and I bring that up because, and this goes to what we were talking about earlier before we started about choice, mm -hmm. right? Which is that uh, with great power comes great responsibility implies that you have no choice when it comes to power. With great power must also come great responsibility comes this idea of you have to choose to be responsible because you can choose to be mm -hmm. irresponsible with great power. As we're seeing right now um, in Europe, you know, it's um, there are people that are irresponsible with power, like Vladimir Putin. And so it's really a choice that we make to be responsible with power when we have it. When you, you know, you might have gone to Europe, but my mind went to Spider Man 3 with um, angsty emo Tobey Maguire. Um, that was where my mind went for not using power responsibly. Um, right. We, well, the idea though, Ember, is that we use these things, uh, we use whatever the metaphor is in the film or wherever we get it from to frame our daily lives and to frame what it is that we're going to do in the world and how we want to be in the world. So whether it's Spider-Man 3, whether you jump to Spider-Man 3 or... To right. Europe, the hope is, is that eventually we jump out of the story into the real world and bring these values and bring these ideals into our daily lives. You know, to me, one thing I like about that state, the, the great power, great responsibility, is it feels like a little bit of a counterbalance to another statement that gets tossed out a lot about power, which is the one from um, the doesn't know anything about power at all because he's not a Lord, uh, Lord Acton, um, who's all great power or with great, or no, not, 
he's the absolute power corrupts absolutely or whatever. Yes. And, you know, interesting that he didn't like use that as the impetus to like give up his title and his lands and his power. Um, strange, strange how that works. Um, he just does, he wants to dissuade others, but whereas Spider-Man gives us this other message that you can have power and you can use it responsibly. It's on us to determine how we're going to use that power. Right, and that's the, I, I feel like that's at the center of all of these comic book characters, but Spider-Man especially has this idea of, as we were talking about, of choice, right? That he's constantly, Peter Parker, and, and when we say Spider-Man, we're specifically talking about Peter Parker today, but if we're talking about one of the other spider people, we'll uh, delineate that, but specifically Peter Parker, in this case, um, constantly is faced with choice. His, uh, his origin story in the comic books is all about choice. He gets bit by this radioactive spider and he chooses to become a celebrity. He goes on the late night talk shows. This is in the comics. He goes on the late night talk shows or if you saw Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire, he goes and he becomes a wrestler. Um, so he uses his power for his own gain. And we can judge that in retrospect. We can judge that in retrospect because Uncle Ben dies from that choice, right? But <clears throat> really it's hard to know when we're in the moment, which choices are the right ones, which ones are the wrong ones. And Peter Parker's constantly having to make choices without knowing what the end result is gonna be and how it's going to affect himself, how it's going to affect others. And really, ultimately, his choice is one of isolation, is one of, I'm going to be so responsible for others that I'm actually going to end up neglecting myself. And so in that way, I think he becomes a, first, I think that's why Peter Parker is relatable. And second, I think that's why he becomes almost um, a cautionary tale of what happens when you're almost too altruistic when you're almost too there for other people. He is, Peter Parker is a person of extremes. Either I'm gonna to be totally about myself or I'm gonna to be totally about others as opposed to finding that balance between, as we all should and do, between being for ourselves and working towards others. And so that's his struggle. Right, I mean, it's such a huge part of most of the character arcs, much of the comics is about this debate about whether he should keep his identity secret so that he can protect his family. Um, and you know, when he does ever give up the identity, it goes, you know, the, the, the NYPD is useless without Peter Parker. I mean, probably, you know, true in real life too, but that's another story. Um, and, um, but he, you know, he has to be the one to hold it all together and he has to sacrifice his, his family for that. He has to keep the secret. Um, and I mean, it's just, yeah, to, to, to contrast that with like this idea of him as like having to decide whether to help others or take care of himself. Like, you know, and I think you see that in a lot of superhero stories that these heroes have to basically give up everything else about their life to like focus on being a hero being a hero is like a career 
Uh-huh. And and um, I mean Superman too, um, the Christopher Reeves one. Uh, he gives up his superpowers to be with Lois, and then has to get them back because General Zod and his minions have attacked the White House, and so it's this idea of being a hero means sacrificing one's self, which I don't know if that's healthy or not. I don't know if that's something that we should be aspiring to, but I do think that it is something that uh, I find lots of people struggle with. Maybe not on that global scale, but definitely the, you know, do I set limits with family and friends or do I, you know, open my doors for everybody, you know, and so comic books, pop culture, these stories become so powerful for us because they're reflections of how we live our lives. And the nice thing with the fictional characters is they can live the lives in the extremes as opposed to us who live in, um, hopefully live in the gray and live in the balance. I don't know that people would use balance despite me being both a Libra and a a Taurus for my moon sign. uh, I don't know that balance is a word that people would often use to describe me. but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh-huh. Well, and, that's, and that's what I mean, Ember, ultimately, is that we're working on being balanced, not that right. we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you brought up that we were talking about Spider-Man as being Peter Parker, but between Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, as well as spoiler alert for Spider-Man, Spider, Spider, Spider-Man No Way Home, um, Please mute your device if. if um, alert in three, two, one. So we have the multiverse in in Spider-Man: No Way Home. Uh, so not only do we get to see in and in into the Spider Verse, we get like Spider Pig, and we get um, the Spider Noir and Mecha Spider-Man. But then we get to see the three trilogies of movies come together into a cohesive narrative um, that brings together and they can all, you know, do the point at each other and, hey, it's you, you're Spider-Man. No, you're Spider-Man. Um, the meme, they got to do the meme. They couldn't resist. Um, but I mean, that's that's a fascinating concept to think of, I mean, theologically, to think about the ideas of parallel universes, of multiverses, um, what do you think? Is there a multiverse? Is there a multiverse where, where you are a superhero? It, it is interesting, Ember, because I, I literally, you know, um, I have a, uh, somebody, uh, mutual, we call them mutuals on TikTok. Like they're not like, I wouldn't call them friends, but people that you both follow each other. And so I have a mutual, um, who's called at that nerd Tara. And she does all of this thinking about the multiverse. And then there's another one, uh, Cap uh, Cap Without a Country. And he talks about the omniverse and whatnot. And I, a couple of weeks ago, Ember, I was sitting around all day and my wife kept going, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm just thinking. She, you know, walked in a few times and like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just thinking. And finally she goes, what are you thinking so hard about? And I go, I'm thinking about the multiverse and how it actually would work and what the science of it would be. And, you know, 
what does it mean? Do they like split off at a certain point? How does it affect the singularity? In other words, the Big Bang, right? Is Did the Big Bang create one timeline and then everything branched off from that? Or the moment of the Big Bang, did an infinite number of timelines emerge from that? Was there a moment where the timelines start to split? Whatnot. And I came to the conclusion, Ember, that there really are very few practical implications for figuring out how the multiverse works <laughs> other than <laughs> banging your head against a wall. But it is interesting. And I think what, what becomes theologically interesting is um, with the multiverse, the conversation that comes out of it is one of, does the universe operate on free will? Does it operate on karma? Does it operate on predestination, right? Is there a plan? Can you affect that plan? Do your actions affect the future? Do they, <clears throat> how do our choices, do we have a choice when it comes to things? Um, are things written out for us, right? And so it affects the way that we frame how the universe works. And that ultimately, Ember, when we decide on the world is predetermined or the world operates on free will or the world operates on karma, let's say, mm -hmm. whatever we decide is what gives us, a, what gives the individual a degree of comfort, right? In other words, right, if, if I decide that everything is predetermined, then everything's predetermined, right? That's how I understand the universe. Doesn't mean I'm always happy. It means I'm comfortable, right? I'm not at, um, I'm not in chaos anymore. And that's what the multiverse ultimately, that's the theological usefulness of discussing the multiverse is it says, I understand how this crazy universe works. It's mm -hmm. no longer chaotic. And on a practical level, Disney is very excited to get to um, recast all the people that they want to whenever they want to without any burden. <laughs> um, I'm sure they're enjoying that aspect. So speaking of Disney. Yes. Um, you are someone who has by far interacted with the comics much more than me. I, I had a brief comic phase. Spider-Man was not really one of those comics. Um, what what are you, what do you think are some big glaring differences between like the movie interpretations and like the comic book interpretations of Spider-Man? Big one. Well, let me let me um, just give a quick plug. Um, there are today comic books are more accessible than ever before with things like Comicsology and Marvel Unlimited. So really anybody can dive in. And I actually, uh, when COVID started and I was just at home a lot and was looking for things to do, I actually just started with the A's on Marvel Unlimited and I just started reading the series. And then I just would bounce around from series to series and see which one I was interested in. And I just start reading different runs and look up different heroes and say, okay, when did this villain emerge? When did this hero emerge? Um, and I just would start reading runs. Um, and this is as an adult, this is only right. since COVID started. So that's partially how I've gained some of this knowledge is um, 
just doing research ostensibly or approaching it as research. <laughs> this is the thing about, you know, for any of our young folks listening, if you dedicate your, you know, um, part of your knowledge to, to pop culture, you too can have it be like an area of expertise to, um, you, can, you can call write, reading comic books research. Um. Well, one more thing, just really quick. And one of the, um, a bunch of the people I follow and have mutual or mutuals on TikTok are pop culture professors. They have their PhDs in pop culture. Uh, one of the book I'm reading right now is called How to Read Comics and Why. And uh, I'm, I'm just in the beginning and he's analyzing The Dark Knight Returns mm. as, a, um, as a reaction to um, this person named Wortham in the 1950s who basically said comic books were corrupting America with their um, homoerotic um, underpinnings with uh, heroes and their sidekicks. And this author talks about Frank Miller writing Batman Returns as a response to that, to this idea of the homoeroticism. And instead of making it, you know, about the heroes and the sidekicks, Miller makes it about Batman and Joker and how their relationship is this ho almost homoerotic love affair. Um, between two sides trying to reconcile. And so, yes, you can get your PhD in this stuff. You can study it. You can become an expert. And there really are profound things that one can talk about with this. But Ember, you had a question. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was going to say hashtag enemies to lovers. It's the enemies to lovers trope from fiction. <laughs> or, it's the, or it's the lovers who kill each other. <laughs> I don't know if it's, I don't know if they, they become, I don't know if they reconcile with each other. They just end up killing each other. Well, I mean, so I think to me, from my, my thought, as far as like comic books versus the movies is that mm -hmm. it's just such a, I mean, it's sort of like comparing any like book that gets turned into a movie or like, it's just such a different format. You have to tell stories differently. Um, you know, it's the same reason why I thought that like Hogwarts high school TV show would be more fascinating than like movies, because then mm -hmm. you can do all the little small storylines. Um, well, it's, um, I'll, I want to say a few things. One is um, the, the issue with comic books is, is you're taking sometimes a character that has evolved over 60 or 70 or 80 years. So like Spider-Man grew up in the 60s or was born in the, the character was born in the 60s. The um, Peter Parker himself born in the 50s. And so his interactions were in the 60s and then in the 70s and then in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And so you have this character that kind of has to adapt to different timelines. And sometimes those, those uh, times that the character lives contradict each other. Right. And so you do have that issue of who is Peter Parker and what characteristics remain the same over that time? Do things change because they have to over time? Um, 
And then I did want to say, and I, I think you'll appreciate this when we're ta uh, talking about books to movies and I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to start a conversation here, which I'm really happy to have. But my favorite Harry Potter book is Prisoner of Azkaban. Favorite Harry Potter book, least favorite movie. Half-Blood Prince is my favorite book and least favorite movie. And the reason that Azkaban is my least favorite movie is because the book is so detailed about what the characters are experiencing, their emotional states. And I feel like the movie just doesn't capture it. It captures, it tells the story. It goes, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And I'm like, yeah, but like when Harry is in, has the, the cloak of uh, invisibility on and he's down at, uh, in Hogsmeade and he's listening to McGonagall and all of these people speak and the book describes what it means for Harry to overhear these adults speaking. And in the movie, you just see it. <laughs> and so it misses some of that emotional punch, which is why I always prefer to see the movie first and then read the book. Because then you get that, like you're describing, Ember, you get that exp expansion as opposed to seeing, reading the book and then feeling like, well, the movie just missed all of that stuff. One of the things that, so speaking about like emotions, one of the things that you tossed out as we brainstormed like different themes and ideas for tonight that really fascinated me was you mentioned um, Spider-Man and like the toxicity that he gets from like J. Jonah Jameson and how he has to deal with like being called this menace and how that affects him psychologically. And then you also even connected that to burnout. I'd love to, I'd love to hear you just feel free to just ramble on that topic. Cause like you put it in the email to me and I'm like, I want to know, I want to hear, I want to hear, I want to hear his thoughts about this. Well, I, I think Ember, and, and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this um, too, because it's one thing to intellectually know something, to know, okay, those people are jerks. Those people are racist. Those people are homophobic. They're transphobic, whatever it is. It's another thing to hear the comments over and over again. The emotional toll that it takes. It's, it's understanding, understanding is not, understanding intellectually is not always understanding emotionally. Mm. Like one of the things, that I see over and over again in conversations in the pop culture community is uh, you'll have these people that say collect um, hard copy DVDs or um, fans that collect, you know, a certain type of toy, right? Funko whatever Pop. it is, Funko Pops. And it's like, you know, do you know how much money you're wasting? Nobody buys physical copies anymore. And what they're trying to do is give a logical explanation to an emotional act. Mm. Because we as a society have so overvalued reason since the enlightenment. This is why, this is why, by the way, Amber, people go, this is why there's even the thought that you can change somebody by sending them away to a camp or getting them educated. It's like, ah, all we have to do is educate this person. And then 
we can change how they feel. And it doesn't work that way. And the example that I've been thinking of, and I'll probably do a short video on this on TikTok at some point, uh, is uh, you go to the amusement park, you go to Disneyland, and you stand in line for two hours for a 45 second to a minute and a half ride. That makes no logical sense, Ember. There is no way, you cannot convince me that that is a rational act. It is logically ridiculous. But it's emotionally fulfilling, right? And so we can, you can reason with your, your children. Hey, this shouldn't hurt your feelings. Don't let them do this. But it does hurt. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that toxicity has a deleterious effect on our souls, on our psyches, that it can be, and it is just as exhausting as running a marathon. Even if you know that you are right, Ember, right? You know, you go to the nation's capital, you go to Congress, and you advocate for a position that you believe in. And, you know, you get all of these terrible questions that are hurtful, that are personally hurtful and whatnot. It's not just that it's exhausting on your body, it's exhausting on your psyche. When J. Jonah Jameson, to have to sit there and To have to sit there and listen to this man go on and on about how terrible Spider-Man is and to listen to that is spiritually draining the same way that um, if one were gay or trans or of a minority and you're sitting around and Nobody realizes that you are that thing. And you have to sit there and listen to it and just bear witness to awful things that are said. And so this idea of, I don't know if they say this anymore. I don't think they do, Ember. Maybe for your kids. I've never heard my kids say it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me is one of the most offensive phrases I think we've come up with in the last century. One of, not the most. But it is because again, it is this celebration of reason that really started with Descartes. I think therefore I am, right? If I can think, if I can be intellectual and scientific and anti-emotion and feelings, and those are primitive. And so we vilify these feelings and we diminish these feelings to our reason. But the truth is, is if we didn't have those feelings, life wouldn't be life. You wouldn't know how to react to things. And so I think what's really tragic for Spider-Man and what we do have, and I think we have to recognize this and then I'll stop. Um, but I think what we need to recognize with Spider-Man is Spider-Man has no one to talk to. He can't, he literally can't. 
Like, even if he went to a therapist, the therapist might actually be obligated to report Peter Parker because uh, therapists have to report if their client's going to commit a crime. And Peter Parker, by and large, being a vigilante, is breaking the law. He has no one to talk to, which should remind us that we do. I'm going to, yeah. I, I now want to pitch to Marvel um, that. I, a, a series of like a chaplain to, uh, you know, chaplain to the heroes. You and I can be like the, we'll be the stars of the TV show. Um, I love this idea. Because <laughs> they need that someone to talk to. They do. I don't know if our spouses would be okay with us being gone for that long, but we'll, we'll, we'll get I them mean, on if, board. If we're Marvel TV star, movie stars, then, you know, it, it'll be like the new WandaVision. It'll be chaplains, <laughs> you know, I always said it about Grey's Anatomy is that 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 hospital needed a, a, a chaplain and a HR person. And they clearly had neither because nobody could set boundaries. And a lot of superheroes seem to have the same problem that they can't separate their work-life uh, balance there. <laughs> it's, it's not that they can't. They're not able. They right. don't have the, they, there are no avenues for that. When Wanda Maximoff is the most powerful woman on the planet. Who the hell is she going to go talk to about her grief over the loss of the love of her life? Who can possibly understand her in such a way Hmm. that would allow her to heal? She needs to carry, this is why I think Encanto has been so big is because it is all about these people who have to shoulder the emotional burdens of everybody else, but have no one to talk to. This is why Mirabelle's the hero, because she can see all of them. She's able to say, hey, you can talk to me. But without the Mirabelle in your life, it's untenable, right? If Peter doesn't have MJ, and it doesn't have to be MJ. It can be anybody who is a partner, right? It doesn't have to be heteronormative and it doesn't have to be um, psychosexual either, I don't think. But it, it, you do need people that you can trust, that you can confide in. And without people that you can really trust, it will drive you crazy. As we see happens to Peter over and over and over again, because there is no one for him to share the burden with emotionally and psychologically. Okay, well, I thought before we open, we'll open the floor to questions, we'll end the recording. But before we go to that, I'll toss out a fun ethical question. And that is, if we had the ability, should we create actual spider men and women and non-binary folks? Spider theys. Uh, spider people, spider creatures. Spider um, so I do think the comics address this um, on some level. Um, the ethical implications of cloning and what not, and I'm interested, Ember, in what you think. Um, but I 
do think that there's a central religious question that religions kind of struggle over, which is, and again, it's how you construct the universe, right? What's your theodicy? How does God, how does the universe work? Does it work on free will? Does it work on predetermination? And what role does faith play, right? And so one argument is, well, that's not the natural order, right? Shouldn't mess with the natural order. The other idea is, is that, of course, it's the natural order. God gave us these brains. This is all within a God argument, right? I'm not going to get into the, just the universe is totally random and whatnot. Uh, but God gave us these brains to figure out medicines and whatnot, and we should do whatever we can with them. You know, I think that the question becomes ultimately like, is there a benefit to creating spider people and whatnot? Here's the sad thing, Ember. What do I really think? I think that if, um, if militaries can figure out a way to do it, they're going to do it. And it's going to start, it's going to start with the military. Right. Because that's how all of the, that's how many of these things start. And then the ketchup's out of the bottle and you got to deal with what you're going to do with it afterwards. Um, I think that it is, I think that that answers the question for me, which is the very, your very impetus for creating it would be for negative gains, like controlling or having power over other people. Therefore we should avoid it. That would be my theological take on it. I don't know. What do you think? I would probably agree. You know, to me, it feels like looking at the world around us that humanity is probably not ready for that kind of power until until we overthrow the military industrial complex, um, until we've overcome that as as humanity. Like because, like you said, that's going to be the first way that it gets used is to um, use for power. Um, with great power, will become great military. Um, <laughs> and you know, and I think you know to. I've I've talked with some folks. Uh, I, I think I probably posted it maybe on Facebook somewhere um, or something. But with everything, with like the big focus on NFTs and we're moving to the metaverse and um, all this, and I'm just like, I, you know, I've said if that's if that's the world that people think is the future, that's a world I'm going to fight against because like that's not the world I want. Like that is not a world that is taking care of people. That is not a world that is stewards of our planet. That is not a world that is, um, you know, not controlled by companies and by advertisers. And, you know, that I, I don't want to live in, in a world of NFT multiverse, or not multi, the multiverse, multi sure, but metaverse, <laughs> I don't want to, don't want to live in, you know? So I, I think that any sort of, ability to, to transcend traditional humanity. I, I mean, I know, I think Elon Musk is asking for like volunteers, which would basically be some level of suicidal, um, to test out his like Neuralink technology where you'll literally be able to have like a computer inside your brain that can get memories. And it's just like, we, 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 are, we can't even put together a basic pandemic response. Can we really trust humanity with 
being able to alter brains on that sort of level, like it's just yeah. probably not a good thing. You know, the, uh, I'll close it with this, Ember. Did you ever see the movie Gattaca with Ethan Hawke? I know about it and I'm like roughly familiar. So Gattaca is, okay. the, the idea is, is that it's the future and you can genetically engineer your offspring, right? And so Ethan Hawke is an offspring that was not genetically engineered, therefore is looked on looked upon as inferior. And there's one motif throughout the film where he and his brother who has been, who has been genetically modified swim and Ethan Hawke always beats his brother Mm. who is the genetically superior. And I'm using that in air quotes um, one. And at the end of the movie, the brother asks Ethan Hawke, you know, how is it that you always beat me? And he said, you always worried about getting back to shore. I never did. Like he didn't let worry overcome him. You know, he, he wasn't rational. He wasn't logical. He was passionate about it. Right. And, and the idea being that, and what I take from it is what we would see with genetic manipulation and whatnot as the desirable and superior traits are so subjective and we don't know what we would be missing with messing with in doing that how do you decide who gets this like you know the the idea of genetic engineering is so fraught because because of our limited capacities and our limited perception and i think that we got to be really careful with that just like you're saying ember that, those are the things i would fight against um but uh, we could probably spend hours talking about this. Allison looks like she has a question. Okay, well, let's wrap up and then we'll open oh, the, yeah. the general discussion. So, Micah, it was great to get to sit down with you once again. And like I said, we will be having you back for a Star Wars discussion in the future. I would love that. Um, I want to thank you and your congregation and your community for having me and inviting me in and uh, listening to me pontificate with you on um, on these very meaty issues. Um, I'll, I'll close with one last thought if I could. Yeah, let's do it. And um, I'm actually gonna have a video on this later, which I've already recorded, but um, there's, there's three levels that we really should understand literature and film and TV on. And I'm gonna use my own personal definitions for these terms, not the academic, but one is the meta contextual, the other one is the context, and then the subtext. And the, te- the, the textual or the context is, you know, the simplest level, like what's happening to Spider-Man in this scene, and it's just what's there. The meta textual is, for me, the way I'm defining that is, what's the writer's intent here? What is it that the writer's trying to get across in this moment, right? What's the critique that's going on? And then the subtext is, what is it that the characters really say in this scene, right? The metatextual and the subtextual 
are really where the value lies for us in reading literature and taking literature and applying it to the real world is what is it that the writer is really trying to get us to understand as a society? What is this character's struggle trying to get me to understand as an individual? And that's where pop culture, that's where Spider-Man, that's where these heroes become so valuable for us as foils for our own lives to understand and frame how we interact with the world. There we go. That is a perfect place to wrap up our recording. <laughs>